0: Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, continues in our series about our many misconceptions about marriage. You can find our weekly message outline and many other of our resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. Yeah, how we appreciate these students from Anderson U, if you're you're new to Brookwood, you may not know, we have a partnership with Anderson U, and uh, Joe Wehunt is their uh, worship professor over there. Brantley Smith is also an adjunct professor, so we invite those students to come and be involved here, both on the stage and backstage to learn to lead worship. So they're preparing for their futures as well. We return to our series today, Marriage Made in Heaven. But unfortunately, it has to live out, be lived out on earth. That's a little different. So our focus today... Our focus today is God's plan for marriage... You say, well, where are some of these ideas coming from? I haven't heard them. Well, some are from some books by Gary Thomas. They're for sale in the bookstore. I commend them to you. But God designed and God instituted marriage. We know that from Genesis chapter 2. And he determined its purpose, which I suggested a few weeks back, was, was more to make us holy than to make us happy. Do you agree with that? Does it distress you? It's a very different perspective, isn't it? And in order to feel God's purpose, this relationship between a man and a woman joined before God into one life, one existence, must operate according to God's plan, which we'll consider today. You can take out your message guide The verse I selected as the theme verse from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33 is So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Interesting, isn't it, that it gives different instructions to the man and the woman. And so this verse points out that spouses need different things from their marriage. Women and men are created differently. So so a woman is looking for love, a man is looking for respect. Now I know Aretha's saying, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. And if you can't get that, you can get this. Suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me. But that song was not written by Aretha Franklin. Who penned it? Otis Redding. Otis Redding. It was penned by a man. From a male perspective, actually, even though she popularized it for sure. The fact that we are created differently, we're fashioned and formed differently. Affects what we need from our mates. As I said, both men and women do need love and respect, but in different measures and even expressed in different ways. A woman's greater need is to be loved, a man's greater need to be respected, because wives need love from their husbands to feel significant. The reason is that their self esteem is primarily related to the quality of their relationships. Husbands need respect from their wives because their self-esteem is more related to accomplishments and achievements, which is why losing a job or experiencing a financial reversal can be so demoralizing to a man. And you say, well, those those don't apply to me exactly. Well, these are certainly generalities, but there is a high degree of correlation with the differences in men and women. God's plan for marriage includes, today I deal with three important elements. Love, respect, and service. So God's plan first includes expressing love. Look at this passage. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Do you think that applies to marriage? Wasn't that Jesus talking to his disciples? Well, then why does it apply to marriage? Come on. Marriage is discipleship, exactly. And we are disciples. How much more should it be demonstrated in the bond of matrimony? Now, Christianity certainly involves believing certain things, certain facts. But the clearest evidence of faith existing within a person is the ability to love. And we show our love for God by loving other people, especially our spouses well. The way we love our spouses will prove to a watching world that we belong to Jesus. That's what we saw in John 13. If an unbeliever comes into your home, will he or she experience something unusual and wonder the source of it? Or do our marriages look like everybody else's? You may say, well, I don't feel like being loving all the time. Love isn't a feeling. What is love? It's an action. It's something that you do. Simply stated, it's putting another's needs ahead of your own. It's doing for another person what that person most needs. It's self-sacrifice. John 3, 16 tells us why Jesus came. What was the motivation? It was the love of God to put his son to death for our sakes. Ephesians 5, which we dealt with a couple of weeks ago, says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he he showed it by sacrificing his very life. As our culture becomes increasingly self-centered, we're encouraged to look out for ourselves, but love says look out for each other. And you see, marriage is intended to teach us how to love, how to enlarge our capacity for self-sacrifice for the good of another person. And that's teaching us how to live Christ-like. See, the ability to love doesn't come naturally to us all. Do you accept that? Now, some of you that grew up in an especially nurturing home may have learned it from childhood. But others of you who grew up in homes where your parents' marriage was combative, tortured, or ended, you may need to start learning how to love at the point of marriage. When it's not on display in your home, you have to seek its demonstration in Jesus Christ. And he gives us an example You see, marriage creates a climate where love is put to the test. Because we see another person up close, continually, constantly, as our vow stated to have and to hold, what's the next phrase? From this day forward, then for better, for worse. For rich or for poor. In sickness and in health. But we can add, in bad moods and good. In strength and weakness. In pleasantness and irritation. When praiseworthy and when disappointing. You get it. 1 John 4, 20 says this. If, if we don't love people, <coughs> people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see. In other words, if you declare you love God and you don't love the mate he gave you to love, you're not telling the truth. Sometimes when marriages are in in decline, one spouse will say, I don't love you anymore. Or even, I've never loved you. And it's meant as an insult or an attack. But it's actually an admission. Because that person is actually saying, I have never acted as a Christian toward you. Because a failure to love is disobedience to Jesus' command to love. Okay, 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 I'll accept love as a decision. But what about romance? Does it have no place in marriage? Well, of course it does. But if you want to experience warm romantic love for a lifetime in marriage, it doesn't come from pursuing infatuation. Infatuation, you see, all, it, it's ethereal, and it always just sort of vanishes. And what it does is if you're still thirsting for this infatuation, then you will go through a succession of relationships. Even serial rom- uh, marriages. It's interesting, it used to be that people perhaps were married two times maybe, Because marriage, because divorce took a long time to work through. In our culture, where divorce can happen so quickly in many states, people can be divorced six, seven. I think there must be people in double figures now. Well, is there something vitally flawed with every mate they chose? No. There was something vitally flawed in the chooser. They were looking for the wrong thing. They were trying to grasp that which is a vapor, that euphoria, which only occurs in the beginning of something that's exciting. That's why people who are having affairs talk about, oh, I'm in love. Well, no, no, part of the, the, the excitement of being called and the fear and the fact that it's cloistered and secret Gives you this, this excited feeling that you call love, which isn't love at all. If you want to experience romance for a lifetime, that will result from cherishing your spouse. I mean, didn't you, did, who in here vowed at their wedding that they would love and cherish until we part in death? How many of us vowed that? Let me see them. Come on. You said love and cherish until you die. Well, have you done it? Not died. Have you cherished? And are you cherishing? Because if the atmosphere of your home is devoid of cherishing, it's no wonder it's so dusty in that house. And I don't mean for lack of cleaning. Cherishing means to notice, to appreciate, to hold dear, to delight in, to enjoy. Do you cherish your spouse? Husbands, do you you cherish your wife? Here's one way that you know. Have you noticed that women carefully choose their clothes? they usually consider and discard several outfits before choosing. Is that true? Because women don't get dressed. Women adorn themselves in an appropriate costume for going out, even if it's to Publix. And they, they festoon themselves with necklaces. Just the right one. Not too few, not too many. And they have spent considerable time doing this and they want you to notice. Do you notice? Women may not say this, but they are wondering, do I look cute? Am I I right, ladies? Am I right? And so men... I mean, they're over there in the closet turning over the dirty clothes and doing the sniff test to see what they can put back on. I mean, I think I can wear this if I keep my arms down. (laughs) Women don't prepare for the day like that. And so as they deliberately prepare, there's an expectation of you noticing. Commenting, but here's the deeper question. Not only do you do that, do you care about doing it? Do you enjoy doing it? That's cherishing. That's cherishing. When you cherish someone, you you take pleasure thinking about them. I have a picture of Leanne upstairs. I have a study here and a study out there. And those are the only ones I've found lately. But, um, and it's her graduation. I mean, it's her high school picture. So she must have been 17. And I looked at it this morning. and I thought, how beautiful then. And I think, how beautiful now, only a couple of years later. So do we... Do we express adoration? You see what I'm saying? Do do we assure our spouses, I am pleased and delighted with you and I want no one else. Let me tell you this. You're saying that how you feel whether you ever speak a word. Your house is dense with an understanding about whether you wish you had another or not. Whether you're pleased or disappointed. It's it's in the air. Did you know that? Love is described in, well, where? What chapter is it in? 1 Corinthians 13, but cherish doesn't appear there. See, that says love is never rude. Love, you know, it describes it. Where is cherishing displayed in the Bible? I knew an artist would know that. (laughs) Song of Songs describes cherishing. Read it. They're very different, and you need both. Love is a decision, so you read how to love. Love. But you want to be guided in how to feel and how to communicate. Uh Uh-uh. That's song of songs. In your marriage, do you express love? Do you cherish your spouse? God's plan for marriage also includes extending honor. Romans 12, 10. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now see, this is a, this is a, a verse written to the church, but look how much more specific it is for marriage. Love each other, there's your decision. Genuine affection, there's cherishing. And then delight in honoring. The Greek verb that's translated honor is tomeo. And it's translated honor, but it can also be translated equally respect. In fact, I think this blank was at first respected. You can see it on the bottom of your outline but it literally means to value, to revere, to esteem. So I'll use the words respect and honor interchangeably because they are interchangeable from the Greek, though in the English we use them a bit differently, don't we? All of us desire to be respected, to be honored, to be valued, to feel we have importance and significance. All of us want to matter especially to those, those people who are near to us, who are close to us, to that one we've been joined to for life. And so we think of that frequently, but, but I'm not so sure that we think as frequently about having an obligation to honor others, particularly our spouse, as part of our commitment to Christ. See, marriage is discipleship in its essence. For two Christians, two Christians are just living in intense, an intense discipleship relationship. So every scripture, and you can see I've used lots of scriptures that don't apply specifically to marriage. They apply to the relationship between two Christians. Which is marriage. in it's most intimate form, most intense form. How do we honor our spouses? Well, we compliment them in public. We affirm their gifts and their abilities and their accomplishments to other people. See, honoring is given directly to them, but there's an aspect of it that's public too, isn't it? We express appreciation for what they do. Well, she knows how I feel. Oh no, you must say it. Because unexpressed honor is dishonor. When you leave a vacuum, a communication vacuum in your home, it will always be filled. In marriage, we're called to respect our spouses even though we we know all too well their weaknesses and their character flaws. Now, it's true that that those little idiosyncrasies that are adorable at the beginning of a relationship can later become irritating. And if you're not careful, can lead to contempt and scorn. Let's say your husband trims his toenails at the table. which might have been cute at first until he started using his teeth. (laughs) But at least can't you recognize and honor the dexterity that it takes? (laughs) Now, some of you may be thinking, my spouse doesn't deserve my respect. But respect... Like love must be given how? How? Freely. freely. And without conditions. It must be given freely and unconditionally. Well, that doesn't seem fair. We're not even talking about fairness. We're talking about what you're called to by Christ. And if you're struggling to find something to admire in your spouse, then see that person as made in the image of God with God-given attributes that are worthy of respect and deserving of dignity. If I can't see something praiseworthy in another person, that reveals my lack of depth, my shallowness, my self-focus. The longer I'm married, I ought to be able to see interesting depth and fascinating intricacies in this person that God fashioned and entrusted to me for life so that I will never take her, or in a woman's instance, him, for granted. Has the person you could not take your eyes off of Become the person you hardly notice. That's about you. It's not about her. It's not about him. We must see our spouses as partners in pursuing God and viewing them with eyes of grace seeing and appreciating not only their gifts but also their efforts to grow spiritually and emotionally you know what the best gift that i can give my spouse is to become more mature spiritually more whole emotionally it's the best gift i can give my spouse If my spouse, if your spouse is more aware of where he falls short in your eyes than what you adore about him, you're not honoring and certainly not cherishing. You see, if I'm spiritually mature, if we're spiritually mature, then we'll have the same compassion for this person's weaknesses as Christ does. Extending acceptance, expressing gentleness, offering encouragement instead of contempt. Do you extend respect? Do you show honor? To your spouse. God's plan for marriage also includes exercising service. Galatians 6. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith, especially to those, to that family that lives under your roof. How did Jesus come? What was his role in coming? Say it again. Servant. Not as ruler. He returns as ruler. He came the first time as servant. And he calls us to serve as well. You can read Matthew 20, 27, 28, Philippians 2. And that approach to serving applies to all relationships, but how much more so to marriage? Now I'll say this, let me venture a guess, that the majority of people don't enter marriage with a desire to become a servant. How many of you did? But in reality, Christian marital vows, which are a commitment to love for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, every one of them is a commitment to serve God in those situations What do you do in sickness Every one of them the commitment to love is a commitment to serve And in this service it's it's this service that makes marriage so difficult personally and so beneficial spiritually Because really, you know what becoming Christ-like is composed of? Dying to self. Dying to self. Living to Him, expressing it to her or to others. Now, as always, I want y'all to hear me on this. Some of you that have been mistreated in marriage, I want you to always hear me as bracketing, even if I don't state it. I'm not referring to being dominated, controlled, or exploited. I'm not talking about allowing acceptance, physical or emotional. Hear me? We're talking about something different than that. We're talking about just the ordinary kind of give and take of marriage and the ability to take someone for granted. But serving your spouse willingly still requires great spiritual strength and a willingness to deny yourself. Spiritual significance and satisfaction are found in giving our lives away. Not in selfishly demanding personal happiness by seeking to have our mates meet all of our needs and fulfill all of our desires. See, many marital disputes and much dissatisfaction results from placing on our spouses demands to meet needs that only God can meet. You're going to be forever disappointed if you're expecting that spouse to meet every need and fulfill every desire that's deep within you. Only God sees those wounds, that damage. Only He can heal it fully. But when I look to God to meet my needs, I'm enabled to serve my spouse more willingly, even joyfully. Are you begrudged when you serve? Then you need to say, okay, God, what is this in me? Where is this coming from that I... Feel used. I feel unappreciated. Where is this? What's the source of this? Because your spouse can't control that and can't fix it. Only God's soul, God's Spirit can heal those wounds and change your lives to truth. And we will avoid disappointment and disillusionment in marriage if we regularly ask, "How well am I serving?" Instead of how well am I being served? Now, if I want to serve, it requires me to pay some close attention to discover those needs or desires that I can fulfill and to attempt to. Now, you might be saying, my spouse doesn't deserve to be respected to be served. He does not deserve for me to serve him. She doesn't deserve to be, for me to try to meet all those needs. He doesn't. Our service to our spouses is offered not out of what they deserve, it's offered out of obedience to God. And does he deserve our service? So in other words, our spouses are benefiting from what we owe God. And it's precisely this idea of sacrificial service that's freely offered to our spouses that identifies our marriages as Christians. Do you serve your spouse? Willingly. Joyfully. Because of the grace God has given you. Our counselors will come to the front. They're here. If you are in a troubled marriage and you want to talk to someone if you want to just talk to someone about where you are spiritually, have someone pray for you, anoint you with oil for healing, counselors, you come on up. As I said, we're, as you heard earlier from JC, we're going to depart from this series next week as we recognize the 20th anniversary of our church. But, but it's also the first 25th, 20, thank you, 25. That's right. I look better than though. I, I don't look like I've been here 25 years, do I? I'm (laughs) well-preserved, but next Sunday is also first Sunday, and what better way to start to celebrate the 25th anniversary than we start in prayer at 8.15. So let me urge you, it's first Sunday, recognize that. It's also 25th anniversary. Come and let's pray. Let's thank God for what he's done in our lives through this church and people in this church. And let's ask him what he wants to do going forward. So I urge you to take part in that. Also, keep inviting your friends. Invitation cards are at the coffee stations or at the information desk. You could also still use social media. you say, well, the series is half over. Three messages remain. But God speaking one sentence to a person in one message can change their marriage and their life. Keep reaching out. Keep caring. Keep inviting. And let's pray for God to make a difference. Father, I pray that our marriages would reflect love and cherishing, honoring and respecting and serving the way your Son has taught us in whose name we pray. Amen. Please stack the chairs. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways you can connect with other Christians here, or if you just have any questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.